This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in. We are back in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 this time, and I want to begin in verses 17 and 18. First uh, Thessalonians four seventeen and eighteen says, "Who uh, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words." Uh, so that's uh, the the very end of a much larger description that Paul begins in verse thirteen regarding what the return of Christ is going to look like, and it's interesting that he ends with. Uh, this exhortation, this instruction to comfort one another with these words. Um, this is he, he's pointing to as he's done in at the end of chapter two, at the end of chapter one. He's pointing to the source of our co- our our hope and comfort, and that is ultimately return of the Lord. When you think about again, one of the major thrusts of this letter uh, being the. The issue of persecution there in, in first um, in, in first Thessalonians in Thessalonica, where Paul had taught, uh, you know, he was run out of that town like he was run out of so many towns, and persecution persisted even after he left. And so he's he's comforting these brethren uh, re- by reminding them of, in the end, there's a reckoning. In the end. Um, God is going to set everything right. And the most important thing that you and I need to remember is that he is returning and we need to be right with him. We need to make sure that we're ready Um, because that day is going to be a a day of great relief for the Christian, A, a day of great reunion with all the faithful brethren who have gone before us, all the, uh, godly men and women of, of the past, uh, but it's also going to be a very sad day for God's enemies, those who were never reconciled to him, those who never humbled themselves before Christ. So as Paul calls us to meditate on these things, this this should be a source of comfort. I mean, it's it's sobering, right? It's it's the ultimate reality. It's the final, it's it is the end game. This uh this end to evil. A new beginning for God's people without death, without pain, without sorrow. No more aging, no more fear or worry. It's it's an entirely new and wonderful existence that we're looking forward to. Uh, and that's where our hope is. And that should be a great comfort to us. So if we ever stop believing that his return can't come soon enough, we're in trouble. We're, we're not in the right mindset. And so this is how Paul is is shaping the Christian's perspective in Thessalonica, and of course ours. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't want us to find ourselves in that that position. Um, and if we do, we need to ask why. Why wouldn't we continually say, along with John in Revelation, "Come, Lord Jesus"? Right when Jesus says, uh, "You know, I'm, I am coming quickly, and my reward." is with me. John's response is, come, amen, and come, Lord Jesus. You know, this world, we can't have any illusions that this world has been so kind to us that we would regret leaving it. Um, You know, there's many good things, obviously, that we enjoy here. Every good and perfect gift is from God, James says, and 
we're blessed abundantly, in, at least in this particular part of the world, uh, material things. We have so much more than we need. Um, but at the same time, uh, we have to remember to look forward to the day of, of Jesus' return. We can't love those things, the material things we have, and uh, even you know non-material things, blessings of family and those relationships that we have. We can't value them over our heavenly home and and cease anticipating the Lord's return. Uh, and so the reason Paul, you know, that's that's one of the reasons he's he's bringing this up to to this church, but also evidently they were confused about the state of their brethren who had already fallen asleep. If you go back to verse 14 in chapter 4, they had some questions about uh, those who had died in, in Christ. What happened to them? What will happen to them when Jesus returns? Are they going to miss out? And uh, and so Paul is answering these questions uh, throughout this text, and he's saying he's saying no, it's quite the opposite. They, they're going to return with him. We believe, he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Verse fourteen. So Paul. He's not going to let his brethren have delusions about uh, their beloved fellow saints. Uh, he, he wants them to know, and he wants us to know, they are with the Lord, right? And they're going to come back. And their bodies are going to rise first when he returns, verse 16. Those who, those Christ, and then those Christians who remain, verse 17, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. So, there's a, you know, we don't know exactly how it's going to look and unfold on the day that Jesus returns, but we have some pretty good, um, you know, we have a pretty good view here and some critical details that are given in texts like First Thessalonians 4. And this knowledge should be a great comfort to us. Um, and as we mentioned at the outset, verse 18, it, it should be a comfort that we continually share with one another. No matter what's going down, what we're suffering, uh, you know what's going wrong, or who is, you know, who's trying to run us down, it's um, we we never lose this comfort. At least we shouldn't, and, and this is something that we should continually point to. That nothing that we suffer here is going to last forever. It's going to come to an end, and just remember that. You know, the, the fact that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead, that there is going to be a judgment. That heaven is a reality. Um, all of these things puts this life in perspective and puts the suffering of this life in perspective for us. You know, how did Paul overcome without having a, a mental breakdown or being consumed with depression or lashing against, uh, lashing out against all the people who were persecuting him uh, and not take revenge? You know, what he says elsewhere is, um, you know, we, he says, why are we in danger every hour? I affirm brethren by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I died daily. And if from human motives, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's first Corinthians 15 verses 30 through 32. And so the lesson, you know, it, it's, 
put to us in, in different words there, but it's the same. If there's no resurrection, if there's no judgment, if there's no heaven, then do whatever you want. Don't suffer. Don't risk your life for any reason, not even for Jesus. If there is no life beyond this world, do as you please without fear. But of course, his point in 1 Corinthians 15, as it is here, is just the opposite. There is, there is life after this one. This is why Paul suffered. This is why Christians give their lives in service to Christ. Because eternity is at stake. When we, when we see him, when he returns to end time and to raise the dead and judge all men, he's going to have his reward with him. Is what he says in Revelation twenty two twelve. His reward is with him. And he is a God who always keeps his word. And so the message is, be patient. Wait for him. He's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to let you down. But you need to be ready. You need to be ready when he returns. And, and this is Paul's next exhortation, right? As, as we move into the beginning of chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, he says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So if you, you know, this picture is continually given to us in Scripture, right? Thief in the night, we're familiar with that phrase. And so let's just let's just sit on that for a second. You know, if you had hard evidence, the Bible is telling us you had evidence, you knew someone was going to break into your house tonight. Tonight, you knew someone was going to break into your house. What would you do to prepare? If the only thing you, you didn't know was when the culprit is going to show up, how would you respond? You'd give yourself completely to that preparation, right? You wouldn't be lax about it. You'd be thinking about it, right? It, it would be at the front of your mind all the time, all day long. And you would ignore people saying, you're crazy. Everything's fine. Just calm down. Why would you ignore them? Because you know better. You know the truth. And the reality is, yeah, he's, he's coming. I just don't know when. And I've got to use what time I have to get ready. And so this is why Scripture continually puts this picture before us. It's so appropriate. This is the reality of Jesus' return. He's not only going to break into your house, but mine also, and everyone else's. So our preparations involve telling other people to prepare, get ready. No one's going to escape. There's no exceptions today. And so why would Paul tell this to Christians? Christians of all people are supposed to, to know this, right? Verses 5 and 6. For if you were all sons of light and sons of day, we are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as, uh, um, as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So if other Bible teachers are to be believed, that we hear so much of in, in the world, Christians should just uh, kick back. They, they don't have a reason to keep sober or alert or make any preparations because they're once they're saved, they'll always be saved. And your preparations are done. Right? But here the apostle of Christ is speaking to Christians and he is telling Christians to be ready, be alert, be sober. So who will you believe? 
those, quote, Bible teachers or what you just read in 1 Thessalonians 5? Don't be duped, my friends. Jesus said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. And he expects us to take that to heart. We're not bulletproof. We're not invulnerable to temptation or sin or falling away from the faith. Saying that was uncontroversial in Paul's time. But everywhere you look in the religious world, you find people saying just the opposite. Saying, take your ease, do as you will, you're safe. But Paul knows that it's not only possible to fall away, but that I will fall away unless I am diligently preparing for his return, for Jesus' return. And so Paul lays out briefly some fundamental steps to, to get ready and to stay ready for the Lord's return. He says, we, we are of the day, let us be sober. Verse 8, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Right, So that, that echoes what he says to the Ephesians. Right, You recognize probably that passage from Ephesians 6 where he's naming the armor of God. Not in the same amount of detail uh, here as in, as in Ephesians, but principles are the same, right? That we're to be people of faith, working through love so that we can realize the full assurance of hope. And Paul, in his letters, he, he's repeatedly connecting these ideas. And we've talked about this before. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. Uh, but, but for Paul, there was no hope, right? There was no full assurance of hope apart from uh, someone actively living their faith, right? Uh, and, and, and for us now, we talk about living our faith or practicing our faith. Uh, but that's really a redundant statement because biblically, biblical faith is trusting obedience, right? So it's not just, as you know, mental assent or belief or something that just happens in between your ears. It is, um, it's manifest, it's, it's observable. Uh, and that's the biblical concept. We won't flesh that out because we don't have time, but Paul over and over again connects these ideas. If you want to have hope, then you have to be a person with genuine faith and, and, and love. And Christians get discouraged, and oftentimes I think that their discouragement has nothing to do with external forces. It certainly can, uh, but I think, I think by and large, it has everything to do with the lack of service and sacrifice. The times that I'm most discouraged personally, the times that I'm down the most, uh, or when I'm at my uh, most unproductive, or least productive, I should say, right? And so I, I know there's more that I, I should be doing and I can be doing, and, uh, and, and Scripture is reminding me that the blessing of joy in Christ and comfort in Christ and hope in Christ is inextricably linked to serving Christ, obedience to Christ, and so if one would have comfort, one must serve. If one would have peace in Christ, he must serve. Every spiritual blessing is found in him, but not apart from serving him. It's not just a fellowship we have and then we sit on our hands and we think, oh, it's so wonderful. No, 
Bible, the New Testament knows of no such thing. So when you start wringing your hands and you're wondering, why, why don't I know comfort? Why don't I know peace? Why don't I experience these blessings that I hear so much about from the pulpit and Scripture speaks of? Well, just remember that those blessings are found in the work Jesus entrusted to us. Right? We just have to listen to him. Right? When a woman said to him, uh, blessed are, uh, you know, is, are, are the, the breasts that, that nursed you and the womb that bore you. And then Jesus says, on the contrary, it is more blessed to hear and obey the word of God. Think about that for a moment. It is more blessed, you find more blessing in obedience than being the mother of the Messiah. Therein is joy. Therein is peace and comfort and blessedness, hearing and obeying the word. So when the obedience ceases, when the work ceases, then the blessings which Jesus ordained to come through the obedience, they also cease. But we can take heart. Verses 9 through 11. Chapter 5. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. He has sealed the destiny of the faithful. It's not his faithfulness that we need to be concerned about. He cannot lie. He'll be true to his word. He's done everything in his power to redeem us from eternal death and wrath. And we have every reason to believe him. And we have every reason to encourage one another and to push one another, and to challenge one another, stir up one another, stay in the fight. He is returning soon. Press forward. You only have a short time. But eternity is forever. And so live in such a way that Jesus will not be ashamed of you, whether you meet him in death or when he returns, whichever happens first. Thanks for tuning in.